Well, it's great to be with you at our second recorded worship service at Grace Hills Church, and uh, I hope uh, this next presentation of a time of gathering together without touching each other, staying in touch without touching, uh, becomes meaningful and helpful for you as we uh, journey together. You know, we got quite a few responses last time from our first uh, worship service online, and here's some of the things that came in. Uh, Number one, uh, as Bill came out and gave his introduction and his welcome, he looked and sounded really good. As it relates to the worship, the worship leaders, uh, Mark and Tim, they looked and sounded great. And then there was a couple of comments about the pastor. The preaching pastor, he, he looked a little old, he, he talked too slow, and he could have been a little bit more enthusiastic, and he, and he, probably, should have, he probably should work out a little bit more. Now, all I can say, now talking to the third person, that he's going to try really hard to do a better job, whatever he might do. But, you know, there are some limits as far as what he's willing to do. He's not going to, he's not going to take Botox, and he's not going to get plastic surgery. And he does like to talk faster because that's when he's enthusiastic. Uh, but as you think about it, there's only so much he can do to look a little bit better. But when you think about it, and now I'll talk in the first person, uh, you need to realize that my priority is not really to, to look good. Uh, my priority really not, isn't even, uh, as you think about it, to make God look good. What I really want to do, and my commission, is to allow people to see really how good God is. We really think that God is good. He's good all the time. And we hope even in the midst of all that we're experiencing that you'll see the goodness of God. And so with that, let's look to him in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, and even though we're trying to stay in touch without touching, uh, we want to be a people that, that really come in and meet you. We want to see not so much how good we are, because we are a needy people, but Father, we want to see how good you are. We want to see your goodness in the midst of all that we're going through. And I really pray as we look in God's Word today that you'll make, uh, make this really real to us as we hear what you've done in the past and what you're promised to do now in the present and into the future. And might we really trust you more because of our time spent together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we're in a series uh, before we had that introduction last week into a theme uh, called Stay in Touch Without Touching, as we looked at really what is the purpose of the church and why has God called us to, to meet together, to connect with Christ and connect to the church and, and really follow his commandments for our lives. Uh, but we've been going through a, as, a, as a church in, at Grace Hills Church in the, in the book of Exodus. And Exodus is really about God's way out. And when we think about where we are in right now, which is a, a time like no other time for us, at least in my life, to go through what we're going through, we need to look to a God who can get us out of what we're in. Now, we don't know when that's all going to happen, but we know that God can be trusted. And the reason he can be trusted is because of what he's done in the past. And what I want to emphasize just to begin with is, is this is, this is real. As we think about anything we read, whether it's in the Old Testament or New Testament, the, the reason we believe it, because it actually happened. As you think about the Exodus, and there's been all kinds of films uh, made of uh, that storyline, it, it's more than a story. It's really history, history. And you think about that, this really happened around 1875, and as we think about the time in which Israel was in Egypt, 1875 B.C., as we think about it, what we're going to be experiencing now is what happened around 1445. The first chapter in the book of Exodus covers about 350 years. And then the second chapter covers a period of about 80 years. And then from chapter 3 on, we see what happens through chapters 3 through 40, what happened in about a year's period of time. And in that, we see God encountering people, people who needed help. 
And they were experiencing a plague. In fact, many plagues. And a plague in the Bible, in the Hebrew, really means a suffering a blow to how they were living and how they were experiencing life. As they were suffering this, they weren't experiencing COVID-19, the coronavirus. And by the way, have you heard anything about the coronavirus? But their blows, their plagues were different. For the people of Israel, their plague was slavery. And that's been experienced by people down through the years. And they were under a slavery by an oppressive reign, the reign of Pharaoh, in the land of Egypt. But now, God was going to move that whole scene. And now in the land of Egypt, they were going to experience many plagues, at least 10 of them as is recorded for us in the Scripture. And God was going to give them a blow to their way of living to cause them in the midst of their pain to be drawn to himself. And uh, some people don't really realize it, that there were Egyptians during that time who actually came to faith in the God of, of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, as God unleashed the plagues uh, on that land. And, and so that is a kind of a backdrop to, to where we've been and where we are. We're, we're now in Exodus chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, I, I encourage you to turn to Exodus uh, it's, a, it's a book easy to find in the Bible because it's the second book in the Bible. You have Genesis, and then you have Exodus. And we're in Exodus chapter 7, and really what I want to talk about today is, is getting help or not. And, and really what I'm talking about getting help is I'm not talking about getting help with, from people with, with skin on. I'm, I'm talking about getting help from, from someone who can meet any of our needs and our most desperate needs. There are ways that we can help people uh, here uh, with our hands and with our feet and by sending things out to them. But there's only one who can meet our deepest need. And, and what we want to see is, well, how do we get in on getting help from God? And so we hope to, to go through this passage of Scripture and, and just give us some insight about how do you get help or not. And the not part, we're not going to really talk about. It. That's just not doing these things. But if you want help, here are some prerequisites from getting help from God. Well, let's look at this morning or this afternoon, or this evening, whenever you're seeing this. And really, we want to begin this way. What is it that is required to get help from God? And we're going to look at a section right before chapter 7 in Exodus. Right before chapter 7 comes chapter 6. And we're going to see the last three verses, and we'll begin there. How do you get help, or not, from God? Well, first of all, and this is going to make very simple and straightforward points this morning... Uh, by knowing you need help. Uh, look at the account in Exodus chapter 6, verses 28 through 30. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. He said this to him, I am the Lord, speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. But Moses responds, but, verse 30, But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech, How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, as you listen to the words of Moses responding to to God's commission to him to to speak for him, and as he said to speak to him, he said, look, you don't have to invent the message. You don't have to come up with something. I'm going to tell you what to say. But Moses' response is, "I, I, 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 I can't do it. You're expecting me to go to someone who considers himself a god of this world, Pharaoh, on his headband was a, a serpent, a, a, an emblem of a cobra, which was a god of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh saw himself as a god. And if you see yourself as a god, little g, or someone in the know, 
you don't think you have an, a necessity to listen to anybody. You, you already know everything you know. You are the source of information. You are the source of instruction for somebody else. And, and so Moses responds, saying, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, if we stopped here in the plan of God for Moses and for us as well, we would think this ended in defeat. But, but that really wasn't the message. For you see, as we think about getting help from God, where does it begin? It begins with us realizing that we need his help. Have you ever uh, tried to help somebody who thought they didn't need help? How much help were you able to give them? Absolutely none. Because they didn't think they needed help. Have you ever tried to tell someone who thought they were a know-it-all, how much can you tell them? You, you can't tell them anything. And as we think at this point, this is, this is where God wants us to be. He wants us to be at that place, not that we think we know it all or we don't need his help, but get to that place where we realize that we do need his help. You know, in the New Testament, the, the Bible emphasizes this theme in a lot of different ways. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We are experiencing that as a, as a land, the United States, but also around the world. Not only are we facing the consequences of COVID-19 in a physical way as far as physical health, but financial help is being just eliminated in so many different corners of the world and in our own lives as well. Everything has changed. But as we think about someone who might need some financial help or help physically, it all begins with them recognizing they need it. And Jesus really wanted us to emphasize, as we think about getting help from God, particularly spiritually, it all begins with us realizing that we are poor in spirit, that we desperately need someone to come alongside us and give us what we don't have. And that's what God is good at. The Bible says that in so many different ways. Jesus said this to even his closest companions. And so as we think about the message of realizing it all begins with us knowing that we need his help, it's not only for people who have never believed or are struggling with their faith. It's also for people who, who do believe. Jesus said this to his disciples, his closest companions, the, new, the ones who knew him the best uh, during his days here on earth. He said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the source of help, and each branch needs my help. And then he said this, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a few things. You can do some things. <laughs> well, that's not what the text says. It says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So I guess the word for, for you and for me to realize that, that God has us in a good place. Because when things go wrong, it, it can force us to look for someone who can make things right. And we don't know what the timing is going to be in terms of how the world gets beyond this plague, this COVID-19, in terms of the physical ramification, financial ramifications of it. But it can be used as, as that which drives us to himself, realizing that we need God's help in a world that's gone wrong. And it's not only out there that's gone wrong, it's what's gone wrong on the inside as well. So how do we get help from God? First of all, we've we got to realize that and know that we need his help. But the story goes on, the true story goes on with Moses and in uh, the people of his day. And it begins this way in chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent one, the eternal one, the provider, the redeemer, the one that 
is the one and only true God. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Now, now the, passage, the, the part of that passage that really strikes me is that, that first phrase, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God. That, that's, that's just unbelievable. There are things in the Bible, when you first read it, it, they sound unbelievable. And I'm sure when Moses first heard this, he said, Look it, I can't speak. I can't persuade anybody. I don't have the words to convince someone to do something they don't want to do. And that's why he saw his need God, I can't do it. And then God says, okay, you can't do it on your own. And, and the reality is we can never do things on our own that, that are beyond our comfort zone or beyond things that we feel that we we're personally capable of doing. And, and God says, okay, I'm the one who's going to help you. And I'm going to help you beyond what you can even imagine. I, I'm going to make you as God to someone who thinks he is God. Uh, that's an amazing uh, thought to think that God is so sufficient that he can, he can just raise our level of power and authority to speak into people's lives. You know, when you think about that, the, the Bible does say some amazing things about what he can do in our life. And, and this is what's more, so, so important for us to realize. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, it's not in your notes, but, the, but Jesus said this, but as many as received him, to them he gave right. This is John recording this truth in his gospel. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right power and authority to be a child of God. Even to those who believe and surrender their life to him. And I want to say to all of us, whether we are still wondering if we're going to take the step of faith or whether we've already taken that step of faith, is you think about God giving you the help that you need and what you're going through. He's already given you the opportunity to meet your biggest need, and that is to become one of his children. And we do that when we see our need and need his help, need his forgiveness. And we also get that when we realize that, that he actually can do what he's promised to do. He, he can make me a child of his. But, you know, God doesn't want just Moses to, to speak for him. He, he wants all of his children to speak to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it, it talks about what God can do, he can do in our lives. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And it says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, now, just stopping for a moment, what is the ministry of reconciliation? It, it's, it's that which God does for us that we can't do for ourselves. It, it's recognizing that we, we don't come into this world being at peace with God. We are actually far from God. But when we are reconciled through what Jesus does and will do in our lives, if we put our trust in him, then we who are not at peace with God will be given peace with God and experience the peace of God. That's an amazing, amazing truth. It goes on and says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation, the word of bringing people uh, to experience peace with God. And then it simply says this, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. You see, not only does God make us a child of his, but he also makes us one of his ambassadors, that we represent him just like Moses represented him uh, to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And so, so I want to just share with all of us today that, that God wants to give us help. 
But first of all, we, we've got to know that we need his help. And then, and then secondly, we, we've got to realize how much he can do and how much he can help. You know, as I think about that, for many of us, what we're struggling with is, is not only coming to peace with God and realizing we can become a child of God and speak for God, but we're wondering if we can go through what we're going to be going through already and what might be the bigger challenges in the days to come. But God has given us a lot of promises that he can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. There is a famous promise in God's word which speaks about what God can do, and it's often used by football players on their on their cleats or in their helmets. It's, it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in that passage, sometimes you use that you can do things that physically you couldn't do before, like uh, maybe you, like Superman or Superwoman, you can now run faster than the, a speeding bullet. Or, or you can jump tall buildings with a single bound. And, and of course, God could do anything he wants to do in our lives, but that's really not the point of that passage The point of that passage is that you can endure whether you have a lot or very little because God is able to give you the strength beyond what you can imagine and take you through any circumstance in life. And so through you go through the challenges of relationships and finances and physical health and and being isolated from other people and and realizing that you're filled more with fears than, than assurances of what might happen in the future. God is saying to you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens you through the power of Christ who lives within you if you know him. And so I want you to realize that the God is, is in, Galatians, in Ephesians chapter uh, 3 speaks about that God is able, uh, verse 20, he's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think according to the power that works within you when you know the living God in a personal way. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And so God can meet you at your need, and, and he is your source of, of, of help. But, but not only do you need to realize you need his help, but you've got to believe that he can help you. But, but the story goes on, and it's interesting, as, as Moses encounters Pharaoh and the challenges of that day, it begins in verse 3 and says this, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt and, and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. And so what God was doing with Moses at that time is assuring that what was going to happen, not what was going to happen immediately. And he was saying, look at it, they will know I am the true Lord. I am the only true God when I rescue my people. But what is significant about him explaining about what was going to happen, he says in verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes you wonder as you think about all the things that God did in the land of Egypt, all the plagues and all the miraculous things through the hand of Moses and the words of, of, his, of his brother Aaron, you wonder, Why didn't they just cave in and believe and submit to what was right in front of them? And the reason we think about that is I think you put in terms of getting God's help, whether it's back then or now, not only do we need God's help, not only do we need to realize that what God can do, but we need to realize and know that it really is about the heart. 
Why didn't Pharaoh respond to all the things that God did to demonstrate who he was and what he could do and, and the mandate that was on Pharaoh to let his people go? Because he had a hard heart. You know, when you think about anything, if, you, if your heart's not in it, you're probably not going to do it. And, and if you have a heart to do something uh, with, with all that is within you, then you'll do anything you can to, to make it happen. But as you think about what happened to Pharaoh's heart, he had a hard heart. You know, it's interesting when you think about a hard heart. What, what is a hard heart? The, the, the Hebrews had a number of different words describing the hard heart. And, uh, and it really pictures for us why we need to realize, as you think about encountering God in, in a living way, in a way that changes your life, you don't have to look outside. All you have to do is look inside. You know, circumstances, they can, they can affect you, but they can't totally shape you. They can explain why some of the things that have happened in your life and how, why and how you respond to them, but, but God is the God that, that changes lives, no matter what they've gone through. But what he can't and won't do, he, he can do whatever he wants to do, but what he won't do is he won't change a heart that's not willing to respond to him. Now, in the book of Exodus, if you read it carefully, there, there is a challenge there. To, well, how can, he, how can he call Pharaoh to accountability when it says that God hardened his heart? Well, throughout the book of Exodus, you, you have it said a number of different ways. You have times where it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And other times you have it where Pharaoh heart, uh, God hardened his heart. And then it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened his heart. Well, what was really happening here? Well, first of all, I just want to read a couple places where it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief... He hardened his heart and did not listen to them. He hardened his heart. And then in Exodus chapter 8, verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and he did not let the people go. So it's stated very clearly that Pharaoh was the one who hardened his heart, but other places as God did. I, I really like what one author said, one pastor said, and this is uh, Dr. McGee. He said this about how do you understand the hardening of a heart? What does it mean to harden Pharaoh's heart? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes, but in, in what way? If Pharaoh was a tender-hearted, sweet fellow, that's how he described Pharaoh, who desired to turn to God and was happy to have Moses deliver the children of Israel because Pharaoh wanted to do something for them, then it was mean if God hardened this kind of heart in this uh, gracious Pharaoh. If that is the way you read it, friends, you are reading it you're not reading it right. The hardening is a figurative word, which can mean twisting, as, as with the twisting of a rope. It means God twisted the heart of Pharaoh. He was going to squeeze out what was in it. God forced him to do the thing he really wanted to do. And really, that's, that's what a hard heart is. It's, it's a heart that is it's bent to do whatever it wants to do. Uh, someone else has written this way. As you think about that hard heart, you need to realize that it wasn't that God put some evil in the heart that would not respond to his call for Pharaoh to do what Moses was calling to do. That, that evil was already in there. The, the words that are used for, for hard, hard heart in Hebrew, hazak, kabed, and kasha, 
And they describe hearts that will not listen to anybody else and not respond to anybody this way. A hard, hard heart is one that has been made strong. And you think, well, that's kind of unusual. What do you mean a strong heart is a hard heart? Well, think about it for a moment. Someone who, who feels they are strong or has strength, are they going to ask for any help to, to pick up something or carry, carry a burden? No, because they think they're strong enough. And Pharaoh, that was his problem. He, he didn't need the God of Israel. He didn't need the true God. He didn't need Yahweh because he felt he was strong enough in himself. And then another way to describe a hard heart is this way. It's, it's a heavy heart. And maybe for some of you, this is where your heart is right now as it relates to getting help from God. You're so overwhelmed by whatever you're going through. You might have a heavy heart. Sometimes we'll talk about someone having a heart of sorrow. And they're so immersed in their grief. And maybe you've been around some people who are going through a grieving process. And when they are deep in grief, they don't listen to a whole lot of comforting words. And sometimes the best thing you can do for them is this just be there and, and not say anything to them, but just be there. And until their heart is, is lifted up and not as heavy as it is, it's, it's immovable. And see, this, this is where Pharaoh was. His heart was immovable. The, the reason he didn't want to hear from God is because um, he didn't want to hear from God. His heart was already full of himself, and that's all he wanted to do is to live for himself. And then there's another word for the hardening of a heart. That, that's a heart that's rigid, that's set in place. And when you think about that which hardens people's heart, and often it's done based on what has happened to them. But, but you need to realize is if you think about that which can have an impact on something or someone else, you know, the same sun that will beat down on, on butter will melt the butter. But the, but the same sun that beats down on a wet piece of clay, that it will harden the clay. And what I want to share with all of us is, is we think about God working in our life. We, we need to realize that it all is a matter of the heart. And as God shines the truth into our lives and, and tells us of his willingness to help us and his ability to help us, we've got to be willing to accept his help. And as he shines down upon us, either we can be rigid, we can be to that place in our life where we feel we're strong enough and don't need his help, or we are at that place in our life where we think that everything's so heavy, we don't have time for God. God is sharing his truth with us to soften our heart so that we come to the one who only can help us in our time of need. So as we, uh, as we think about what God wants to say to us, God wants to say to us, look, at, in a time where we desperately need his help, he's there. But we've got to see our need. We've got to see that he can do it. And we need to realize it really is a matter of the heart. What's on the inside? Are we, our inside, are we willing to respond to him? But the, the message goes on, however, as we think about God encountering the people of Egypt. In verse 6 and 7, it says this. So Moses and Aaron did it. They, they went to Pharaoh. And as the Lord commanded them, thus they did. And when did they do it? It says Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, this is kind of a detail in the book, and you think, well, why, did, why was that detail given? Well, I'm not sure exactly why God wants us to know that, but as you think about it, 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 there might be some of this in it, is that we think about getting help, 
I want you to understand it is a matter of the heart, but I also want you to know it's not about your age. It's not about your age. Everyone needs help. I don't know whether you consider yourself a young person or an older person, whatever it might be, everyone needs God's help. And so as you think about that, there's some debate now in our country about if someone gets sick, is there going to be a line drawn about how old you are, whether you're going to receive medical help. And as you think about that, and, and there are going to be some tough decisions made by people in the medical industry, but, but I want to be very clear here. God considers every person of immense value, whether you're young or old, whether you have a lot of abilities or very few abilities from the human perspective, whether you are a special needs young person or adult, everyone that God has allowed to come into life is special in his eyes. And it's not a matter of age as far as importance or value. But not only that, God can use anybody and everybody. It's not a matter of age. And it's quite interesting to me that, that Moses was in his 80s, Aaron was in his 80s, and God was going to use them to, to be the ones that he would allow to help rescue his people. And what's interesting to me, the one they were encountering was a, a pharaoh that was very young. He was 23 years of age as we try to put the chronological map onto this text. And so, so you had the older leading the younger. But sometimes it's the opposite. You know, there's a variety of scriptures that talk about us not to limit ourselves by our age. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it says this. Prescribe and teach these things. He's writing to a pastor, and he says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. What is he really saying here? He's really saying it doesn't matter what your age is, whether you're older or whether you're younger, you have, you have the privilege of setting the pattern or example for someone else. A, a, a person who, who's experienced God's help and now want, wants to help others experience God's help. He, he wants you to, to live in such a way that people can see that, that you've encountered the living God. And, and how you live, not only what you say, but how you live shows that you, you've encountered someone who's changed you and the kind of person that for, in many ways just surprises other people because you don't live simply for yourself but you really live for others. Let no one look down on your age, but rather in speech, the things that come out of your mouth, your conduct, not only what you do, but how you do it. What's important to you, your love and your faith and your purity. Show yourself an example as a pattern for others uh, so they can really believe. So again, as we think about the message God wants to give us, it's, it's really all about knowing we need to, to see our need. We need to know what God can do. We need to realize that it really is a matter of the heart. It's not the circumstances. It's what is from within. And then fourthly, we need to realize it's not a matter of age. God can use and he can impact and change people of any age to encounter him in a living way. But let's look at the last one. This is the last point this morning or this afternoon or this evening whenever you're watching this or listening to this. I want you to understand, you think about getting God's help, it's, it's really a spiritual battle. Sometimes we can only look on the outside and we don't really realize what's really happening. And as we encounter what God was doing in Egypt, as he was getting in the way out, it was a spiritual battle. In many ways, I can, I can relate to, to Moses. There is no way I would, I would consider myself being skilled in speech. 
uh, particularly skilled to the, to the level where I, I can persuade people to, because of the eloquence of my words or the way I say things or, or the depth of what I'm saying would, would change people's lives. Because there is no preacher, there's no teacher, there's no speaker that can then change people's lives. It's, it's all about what God does. All we can do is say what we can in the way we can uh, to help be a, a vessel to God to use us. But it's, it's a spiritual battle. God is the one who has to change lives. And, and we see this in the story of Exodus. Uh, let's look at the spiritual battle as we read a large section, but it's, it's one in which we can see this, these principles laid out. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle... And we'll just stop there. Uh, you know, Pharaoh's like us. If, if we're trying to believe in God, we'll say, God, do something that will convince me. You know, do, do a miracle right in front of me. Strike me dead or maybe the person next to me dead right now, and then I'll believe. You know, Jesus encountered that when he was here. And, and he said to someone uh, uh, very plainly, you know, you, you want another miracle. Well, it doesn't matter how many miracles they do in front of you. And he did miracles all the time. And, and I want you to understand, too, about the miracles Sometimes we wish, why, why doesn't God do more miracles now? Well, you look down through history, particularly as it's recorded in Scripture, God only did a lot of miracles, only about three periods of time in all of the, 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 uh, the recorded writings of the Bible. In the time of Moses, and the time of Elijah and Elisha, and the time of Jesus and the apostles, and then there's going to be the miraculous in the end times. But God, through centuries, did not do the miraculous because he wanted us to believe, not based on things that we could see, but trusting what he had done all around us the miracle of creation, the changed lives that people have when they encounter him, the, the truth of what has been said about him in, in the pages of Scripture. And, and he said to, to people in his days, you know, even if someone comes back from the dead, people won't believe. And that was true when Jesus rose from the dead in his day, and it's true now when people look back. And the major reason we ought to believe in Jesus is because Jesus died. He went in the grave, and three days later, that tomb was empty. And there were records of people seeing him for 40 days afterwards. The resurrection happened, and we ought to believe that's the greatest miracle ever, ever done. And, and yet, people still don't believe. And changed lives, people still don't believe. So Pharaoh, like anybody else, wanted a miracle, and he got all kinds of them, but still, we know the rest of the story, did not believe. So he says, work a miracle, then you will say to Aaron... Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. And so Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus he did, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw the staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent or a snake. Then Pharaoh also called for the men and sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw himself down a staff, and they turned it into a snake. And, and you're thinking right now, well, if they could do what Moses could do, uh, why would we believe in Moses' God, the God of the Bible, uh, when they could do the same kind of miracle? Well, listen on as we read. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And so as we see here, it was a spiritual battle because what you have here in the book of Exodus, and really it's the same battle we have today, is what's happening now in the spiritual realm. There's a battle for your heart. People follow after all kinds of gods. We are an intensely religious society, not only in America but around the world. 
But as we think about it, there's only one true God because it couldn't be everybody's God because every God is so different. And so what he was doing there was proving that his God was much more powerful than their gods. And if you've ever read much about the gods of Egypt during that day, uh, they had 80 deities. They had 80 ways they worshiped God with particular animals or insects or whatever it might be. And, and so this is one of many gods that they tried to hold on to the power. But, but Moses, through the power of God, shall look at your gods are not like the God. And, and the, the stick that was thrown down that became a snake gobbled up all the, the snakes that the, the sorcerers did. And all I want to say to you, there is a spiritual realm out there. And that's why we can't persuade men just based, based on the eloquence of anybody's words or the wisdom of other people's words. That there is a deception going on that's always been going on. And we need to realize that that's, that's part of the battle. In Matthew 24, 24, it says this, for, the, for, the, for, the, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, which is really another way to say believers. That there is an evil one, there is an evil power, there is a Satan, and he's able to do some miraculous things to deceive and mislead people. But God's power is so much more powerful than any power that's in this, this spiritual realm. And, and God will show himself to be powerful. And it was interesting, as you think about it, all the plagues will relate to the gods of Egypt. And particularly here, the serpent was, was a god to them. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, on the headpiece of Pharaoh was a, a cobra figure because he saw himself as God. And, and then God just ate up all the snakes that the, the sorcerers, magicians, had done their work. But Pharaoh's heart got hardened because it's all about the heart and it's a spiritual battle. But then the story goes on. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. He refuses to let his people go. You know, we've already mentioned it's about the heart. It's, would anybody out there admit that sometimes you get stubborn? Maybe you get stubborn with people in your family and you're around them much more now than probably you ever were because we're restricted in our ability to move around. We get stubborn very easily, but we can so easily get stubborn with God as well. And that's what Pharaoh was doing because he had a hard heart. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. You shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, By this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. The fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over their streams, and over their pools, and over all the reservoirs of water, that they may become blood, and there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone." And so God's first play to them was to turn the waters of the Nile and all, all the waters that came from the Nile, and he turned it into blood. It was a miraculous thing that God did through the hands of Moses and Aaron and through the staff that was a symbol of his power. 
And, and really what he was doing here, and, and Moses and Aaron met Pharaoh at the Nile, which was really a place of worship. There were three gods in the Egyptian land of Egypt related to the Nile, the, the god of happy or hoppy, depends how you pronounce it, the, the, the god of Osiris and the god of Nu, the god Nu. And, and in it, it, it showed uh, their ability to, to provide for the people of, of Egypt. It was the source of, of irrigation. It was a source of food. There, were, there was fish to eat within it. It was a source of drinking water. And, and right at the heart of Egypt, and not only at the heart of Egypt, but at the gods of Egypt, Moses was showing through the power of God that he was over all their gods. And, and so what went on? So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded, and he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, so the Egyptians could not drink water even from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into this house with no concern even for this. So all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And so you see this encounter, this spiritual battle, as, as God very powerfully said, look, I'm going to strike at your gods, the god Hopi and Osiris and, and the god Nu, the, the gods of, of your crops and fertility, the, the god who oversees your fish, the, the god that allows you to have drinking water. And in a powerful way, he, he took all the waters of the land and turned it into blood. And then the magicians or the sorcerers came up with a, by the power of the evil one, came up with a counterfeit miracle and, and, and digging into some other fresh water, probably uh, beneath the land, they, they turned into that, that small parts of water and they were able to turn it into, to, into blood. But let me ask you, if, if really you were trying to develop a battle where your God was more powerful than the, the one and only true God, God the God Yahweh, the, the God who has revealed himself, what kind of miracle would you want from your God? What, what you would have wanted is say, well, look, I, I don't want you to, to take some water and turn it into blood. I want you to take the water that was turned into blood by the, the God of the Israelites, and I want you to turn it back into fresh water. And what you need to realize is that as you think about the miraculous that sometimes happens that, it, that persuades people to follow after some kind of God or some kind of religion, the, the way you can know what is a, a miracle from God, from a miracle from some other source is, is what does it do for you? What does it do for the people? In the reality, when, when God does the miraculous, it, it doesn't turn people to him, and it doesn't, and when, it, when people do that, it does not send them into bondage, but it sets them free. But when people see the miraculous or experience the miraculous in some strange way, what it does, it drives them into, into slavery. It, it does not set them free, but it, it drives them into a life that never can please God and never brings full peace. It brings them into a life that, that cannot experience the fullness that only God can give. And, and so as you think about all that happened during that, that time, uh, this was a spiritual battle. This was something that only God could give them relief. As we think about that, I just want to share with you a few passages that really speak that this has always been true. In Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament, the Bible talks about 
the struggle that we have in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, the only one that can, can help us is, is not some uh, false religion or a false God. It, it, it can only be the true and living God. In, Hebrews chapter, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, we, uh, we hear these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full arm of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full arm of God that you'll be able to resist in the evil day all that is done by the evil one and stand firm. So what's, what's, uh, what's the big point this morning? What, what are we really trying to say? Is that we're in a time where we all realize that, that we need help. We desperately need help. And, and we have the opportunity with, with, uh, with people who have skin on, and we can, we can be an instruments of others, for others of the hand of God or, or from our own willingness to help people around us. But there's only so much we can do. There's, so much, there's only so much we can help. But, but there is one who can help us and meet the deepest need of our life. One is to be able to endure what we're going through. One is to eventually rescue us from what's going on. But beyond that is to be prepared for what's happening in the future and, and making sure that we're at peace with God. But, but, but how, how do we experience that? Well, we, we only experience that when we believe that God is able to do that. I was, uh, <laughs> I, I was talking to my neighbor um, Tony across, well, not across the street, my next door neighbor, Tony, and, and we, were, we were six feet apart. And he was telling me about listening to a, to a podcast uh, from a, a sports announcer, and, and I'll just give his first name. His name is Brian. Uh, and he used to play for the Boston Celtics. And he was the, the 11th and 12th man on the team. And in, in the broadcast, uh, he, he would often be, be confronted by those who would call into the show and they were saying, how did you ever get into the NBA? I mean, you're white, you've got red hair, you don't look very athletic. When I watch you play, you look pretty slow. How did you ever get in the NBA? And, and he would go back and forth with them and kind of explain some things. And he, he couldn't quite convince them. And finally, he said this, you, you don't understand. Everyone who gets the NBA, they are great players. They, they might not be better than the people who are starting and get a lot of playing time, but they are great players. They're better than anybody else out there who plays basketball. He said, just to show that to you, I'm going to challenge anybody in the radio audience to, to, uh, to play a game of one-on-one up to 15 uh, with me, and we'll have people there, and it's, it'll be filmed and watched, and, and just, just see if you can beat me. And he said, and I'm not going to get just somebody off the street to play. You've, you've got to at least play college basketball, and, you, and if you've played overseas professionally, you can come as well, and, and I'll compete against any player that comes that we, we set up. And so there came a time where they, they played. And uh, one had played in the final four as far as the collegiate ranks. One had played professionally overseas, and the other had played in college as well. And, and Brian, who was white and comparatively slow and not as quick as most players in the NBA, but was in the league, he, he annihilated all those other players that came to compete with him. And what he did with that is he kind of demonstrated what happened in the time of, of Moses and the Pharaoh uh, and, and the battle between the two, uh, the spiritual battles, is, is how, how do you know what is true and what is not true? Well, we'll put them against each other. And, and see, that, that, that's what really happened in that day and what happens today is, is you compare Jesus with anyone else who, 
who speaks for God and who claims to be God, only Jesus would, would win in the competition between the two. If, if God were to visit this planet to make it clear as, who, as to who he is uh, he, and be convincing, what would he do? He, he would do everything that Jesus did. He, he would be everything that Jesus was. He, he would speak like Jesus spoke, and he would do the miraculous like only Jesus can do, and he would, he would conquer death by, by coming to life again. And so as we think about what this is all about for us during these times where we, we cannot explain or understand or how long they're going to last, we can know this, that there is a God who wants to help us. And we can be helped, but there's some things that are going to be required of us. Number one, we've we got, we got to know we need his help. Secondly, we've got to believe that, that he is one who can actually help us. We've we got to know what he can do. Thirdly, we now recognize that it's, it's not what's outside that's the biggest problem. It's what's on the inside. It's a matter of the heart. We don't want to have a hard heart. We don't want our heart to be open. We want God to soften our heart so we can really trust and believe in him. Thirdly, we don't want to make excuses. or We don't want to somehow think that this doesn't apply to us. So we want to realize it's not a matter of age. It's a matter of openness to him. And then finally, we need to realize it's a spiritual battle. It's something that we need to realize. It's all about what do we believe about God? Has God made himself clear to, to all that he exists and that he not only exists, that he sent his son so that we could not only know about him, that we can know him. And so I just want to end our time together today just simply asking you the, the so what question for all of us. Do you want God's help? The reality is you can't help somebody who doesn't want help. And the reality is you'll never get God's help unless you want it. And then when you want it, are you willing to, to give yourself fully and completely to him? That's the message, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that, that God is our helper. In Psalm 46, 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So I just want to invite you as we close in prayer to, to reach out to the one and only true God who has been the one who has helped in the past people who turn to him, and he's the one who helps people now who turn him in the present. And he will be the one who helps people in the future who realize that he is the source of help. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, I just really pray as we think about our time of struggle, our time of confusion, and our time where we wonder what's going to happen next, that we realize that there is a God who knows. And all he knows, he cares. And he's the one who wants to speak into our lives. And he wants us to be people who trust him. Trust him as our source of, of help at all times and for all things. And Father, we don't know how long we're going to have to endure some of the, the challenges of life. But we realize that whether, whether in times of prosperity or times of adversity, you're the one we need to turn to. And I would pray that each one of us in our heart of hearts, we might... Soften our hearts to the point where we say, Lord, I trust in you. I give you my life. I want to follow you. I, I want not only to be helped, but I want through your strength to be a source of help to others. Help us to know you and to live for you. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.